0: Hi everyone this is episode 47 of the get in my garden podcast i'm aaron moskowitz and this week i had the great pleasure of visiting with kim martin of growing opportunities inc a hydroponic farm focused on tomatoes located in alcalde new mexico about 30 minutes north of santa fe their business has been in operation for 20 years as a hydroponic greenhouse and they are now one of the largest in northern new mexico kim gives us an overview of how their facilities are set up and monitored with specialized equipment how pollination happens, what types of hydroponic growing systems they have succeeded using, and some of the beneficial microbes they use. Then they share some examples of the learning curve they've experienced along the way and how they monitor their plants for issues. In the second half, we discuss the new wave of hemp growers and how they are changing the farming economy in New Mexico. I will continue to add short videos of my visit with Kim Martin at Growing Opportunities, Inc., of their greenhouses, their systems, and my visit. You can see these on my Instagram page at getinmygarden. If you've benefited from the information and guests I've featured, you can visit the website, getinmygarden.com, and sign up for my new email list, which will soon include favorite articles I've shared with my close friends, research and information I feel you would enjoy learning about that fits with the mission of the podcast, which is to inspire and connect people who are focused on making conscious decisions about how to live their lives in a healthy and meaningful way based on the knowledge given to us by previous generations who are so in tune with the earth, and also by the bright minds in the science and technology fields that inspire our future. The website is a work in progress, but it will soon be easy to navigate. Plus, I'll offer awesome freebies via my email list. Feel free to reach out to me via Instagram direct message or on the website. Let me know what you're personally working on and about any feedback or questions you have.
1: We started here in Alcalde in 1999. We are a hydroponic greenhouse operation. We produce a little over 100,000 pounds or more of tomatoes every year. Beef steaks, we do heirlooms, and we do cherry tomatoes, as well as English cucumbers, and we play around with basil and lettuce for the farmer's markets, and we do this year round. So you have
0: how many greenhouses?
1: We technically have four, although the last two that we acquired, um, we do not have a partition in between, so they're, in effect, um, one huge, tremendous greenhouse.
0: At the farmer's market, are you kind of the lone hydroponics grower?
1: Yes, sir. Yes. We used to have some competition um, that got into the hydroponics arena, I would say a decade ago in Taos, but he only did it seasonally. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, he's not in operation anymore and hasn't been for probably the last five years. Interesting. And so as far as I know, we're the only ones wow. around. There's been a lot of trial and error, and I think we've committed every mistake possible. Is that right? Like <laughs> Along what, are, the way. what are
0: some examples? Because some people probably who are listening, they are thinking about farming opportunities, and some of them may end up with a either hydroponic or aquaponic setup.
1: Sure. OK, well, uh, I can give you a perfect example. Um, our plants utilize acid as one of the nutrients. It's a pH corrector, and it helps the, the nutrients get absorbed more into the plants. Uh, well it that's regulated, however, if your system gets out of whack, you can interject too much, and you can f- literally fry the plants. My husband and I went to a business meeting fifteen years ago. We were gone approximately two hours. we came back. The plants had gotten fried, they had gotten almost straight acid to them, and so we ended up having to take out one whole row a good portion of a couple of the other rows and uh, replant then with the plants that we were able to salvage we had to do some extensive reparation work on them Um, cut off all the the dead material and yeah Uh, another example is when the gas was cut off years ago from by the state Mm -hmm. Um, it affected us because we use natural gas to to heat our facilities so and during the winter, do you have yes like sir, a frozen it, everything was fro- would have gotten frozen had we not gotten um, some pellet stoves really quickly at Lowe's. And then my husband stayed up all night long feeding him. We had only two facilities in operation at that time and we were able to salvage one fortunately they ended up having to reimburse us for the second facility because they was, those were brand new plants and we weren't able to maintain a, a temperature that was conducive for their continued existence so we had to replant but oh my god um that wasn't a mistake we made yeah nonetheless <laughs> wow and so um, how do you
0: there's a lot of nutrients involved with hydroponics right oh yeah so yeah. do you have who's involved with figuring out exactly when to put nutrients in and what you're putting in
1: well that's steve uh, my husband uh however um any one of us can actually do it because he's created a, a, a system in place where um, it's written down and we really essentially all, all just have to follow directions in terms of the proportions mm-hmm. mixed. For any given situation, um, the nutrient requirements change as the plants progress in age, you know. Yes. Uh, they don't require near as much when they're babies as opposed to full grown adults who've been in production, you know, for seven months. So he um, has it all down, fine tuned, and has it a uh, program written in place, and so any of us can do it.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And how is your system set up? Because I saw some of your filtration, and you've got all these different kind of outbuildings that are all connected back into your greenhouse, right? So what are the? You're using Dutch buckets
1: in there? Yes. Yes, the Beto bucket system. And then we have, we, have, uh, we use Link 4 and we use uh, the Agro system to regulate the computers for the, the, the watering, the length of watering, amount of watering, and the temperature, humidity. We also have uh, another computer system that, not sure actually who created that, that controls uh, the weather station that we have outside that will override some of the parameters should we need that. Wow. We do have a, a backup generator so that in, in the event of power outages, we also we have a, a packing house. We have multiple storage facilities. We have an RO system and a holding tank for that and a water filtration system in place.
0: Do most hydroponic growers use reverse osmosis?
1: I don't think so. Not to the best of my knowledge, they don't. We just wanted something consistent, something that could regulate the bicarb issues that we have periodically. And also something that our uh, nutrient system wouldn't be affected with um, as much because of the consistency. Mm -hmm. Because we do do periodic tissue analysis just to make sure that everything's in sync and the plants are getting the optimum amount of nutritional requirements fulfilled that they need to. Mm -hmm. So we've created as much of a stable system as we can in essence. That's duty. That yeah, she's uh, actually pest control.
0: Oh, smart! <laughs> I guess every greenhouse really does need a cat.
1: Uh, y- well, outside they do. Inside, uh, that would not be conforming to GAP standards. But for outside purposes, yes, she is a, a great form of pest control for us. As well as, um, you'll notice that we have gravel barriers uh-huh. uh, around our facilities. That also will cut down on insect. I see
0: issues. Yeah. So how is that set up? Do you? It's like a few. F- is it a couple feet of uh-huh. gravel, mm-hmm. and then yeah, what's like three underneath? Yeah,
1: feet of gravel. We have actually a layer of plastic underneath, uh, I guess, for weed purposes. Mm-hmm. But we we do weed. We will still occasionally crop up, and we weed on a regular, ongoing basis. And are yeah. there
0: the nutrients that you're putting in? They're all OMRI certified, right? That's kind oh of, yeah, of course. Yeah, and definitely. then, but do the plants that are in hydroponic greenhouses? Is there a microbial situation that's happening there too? aquaponics is highly focused on the aquatic food web so
1: sure yes in certain situations yes i mean we use what we term beneficials for pest management and for disease management and uh, some of that is incorporating things such as mycostop Mm -hmm. it's a mycorrhizal fungi oh i see that you incorporate in the water so i guess in that respect um, it, it helps prevent some diseases.
0: It might strengthen the plant a lot too. Mold
1: and, and other mold issues. Are, but yeah, we incorporate a lot of type of beneficial treatments from getting things like Incarcia Formosa to target whiteflies. Oh yeah. They're beneficial wasps that will pierce the whitefly egg and interject their larvae inside the the egg.
0: If you have a whitefly problem, you can order those things, right? Yes. And then you let them out. And then what happens? How long does it take to notice?
1: The only way you can tell is that they're, they're working is you'll turn a leaf over and you'll see the whitefly eggs and they'll have little dark spots like they're dead eggs. And that's the only way you can tell that they're there and they're, they're present unless you look under a microscope. But you do see a, a vast reduction in the amount of white flies mm-hmm. and, of course, uh, a vast reduction in the amount of honeydew.
0: There's lots of different problems that can happen, lots of different insects, too. How do you mm-hmm. know? what the problem is. Do you Are you constantly monitoring it with like a loop or something?
1: Oh, every day we, we look at our plants. Um, they're handled every single day. And my husband has become quite the expert at identifying diseases right off the bat. Uh-huh. The one thing with a hydroponic system and especially a, a greenhouse situation where your plants are gonna be in production for 10 months out of the year on average is that if you get a disease, if you don't uh, remove those plants, you're gonna af- affect all the other plants eventually mm-hmm. because it's, it's a system that's you know we don't recycle our water we're not actually true hydroponics in that manner for disease purposes we do actually flush it out but along that line you know the whole road can be a- a- affected so he's become an expert and we had somehow got a tomato hornworm in one of the facilities a couple years ago and Steve spotted the identification of the eaten leaves right away it was immediate that there was only one plant affected actually and he was he would not rest until he located that worm and disposed of it accordingly.
0: And you've got some big greenhouses so mm-hmm. you're just constantly walking down and looking at each plant.
1: Well like I said, they're handled every single day, whether it's picking and packing or whether it's deleafing or cluster pruning or making sure there's maintaining one growth head. We take out all extraneous growth, so every single day they're, they're handled in some respect. We also have decided to hand pollinate, so we do that twice a day. And so every, every plant is actually looked at. Once you know what you're looking for, you can spot things pretty quickly.
0: Wow. Yeah. And so if you don't hand pollinate, what are your options? Bees. Okay.
1: And we did use bees for years and years and years. We got hives specifically uh, for greenhouse situations. There's been a change in in the quality of the hives and they've become more and more aggressive, it seems. Interesting. Especially for our needs. We have augmented their pollen at times, supplemented their food, you know, to try to keep them from being aggressive. For us, it hasn't been as successful as hand pollinating.
0: Maybe they're upset that they only get tomatoes and they want something more.
1: <laughs> we give them cucumbers too.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the situation is. It. We did notice a, a discernible difference. Of, about five years ago, they're a type of bumblebee, so they're not really uh, aggressive. They've never actually bitten anyone. We we, we give tours all the time, but they would just hammer tremendously on the flowers themselves, you know. Interesting. And it got to the point where we said enough is enough, we'll just hand pollinate. Guess what? A leaf blower works tremendously well in terms of hand pollinating. Oh, cool. Yeah, so just going up and down the aisles with a leaf blower twice a day works just as effectively. Uh Uh-huh. And it's a one-time purchase. And you don't have to actually tell people ahead of time that there are bees in the facilities before they go in.
0: Right. So you've how long have you been doing this?
1: Well, okay, so I have been doing this since 2003. I met and married my husband. I, I got sucked into the facilities because it's, it's just such wonderful work. You know? mm-hmm. But he's been doing this since 99. But he... Uh, before that, he was a, a multi-generational farmer, so it's in his blood. He was a dairy farmer before this in upstate New York, I, I think four or five generations where he comes from. So... That's
0: so cool. I, I definitely think that's very powerful. Isn't it? To know of what your ante- ancestors did and then follow at least some in some way in their footsteps.
1: The unfortunate thing, though, is it ends with his generation. The, the farm that he left behind has been sold, you know, the fields themselves have been um, leased out to corporate farms. N- none of the generations after are, are following in their footsteps. So it'll be the last generation, unfortunately.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, there is something to the, f- I mean, it's probably much larger acreage than is needed for something like hydroponics, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's maybe part of the, the demographic <laughs> shift that's happening, too, because mm-hmm. now anyone, I mean, in Albuquerque, there are some farms that I think they only have like less than an acre, but they've got some hydroponics operations and they're producing a massive amount of food. Are they? Yeah. Oh great.
1: That's so, fantastic. Yes, um I yes, the the general rule of thumb is that you can use a tenth of the water and get 10 times the yield. And we have uh, approximately over three thousand tomato plants in less than sixteen thousand square feet of space. Wow! And like I said, we're producing over a hundred thousand pounds a year plus. I mean, it's closer to two hundred thousand, I think. So
0: that is so great. Yeah, that's probably and, and that's,
1: like I said, sixteen thousand square feet of fe- space. So so um, amazing, right?
0: And so you were talking about the Dutch buckets, yes, or, and the other systems that you yeah, use. Oh, drip yeah, drip irrigation. Drip irrigation so what other hydroponic systems have you tried or what are what exists out there well
1: we have the nft channels for the lettuce and the basil and that oh, yeah. is true hydroponics because that is recycled aside from that i'm not familiar with any uh, okay. um i'm sure there. are out there and I'm sure my husband is aware of every single one of them Uh (laughs) pretty
0: yours is pretty standard it sounds like Mm -hmm. with those systems that you mentioned Mm -hmm. so how did you end up with tomatoes because it sounds like your focus is tomatoes you have a couple peripheral like a couple other crops also
1: so yes uh well pound for pound actually tomatoes are probably the most productive in terms of price you know profit Uh and my husband studied that for two years as he was farming in upstate New York and then went on a tour. The company that produced our first facility Crop King actually has educational tours and seminars that they put out will introduce prospective growers to the hydroponics world and he took that and um, that was actually in Wilcox, Arizona at the time at one uh, Eurofresh which huh. is one of the biggest tomato producing facilities in the in the nation and uh, that convinced him, that sold him that this was the way to go. Besides that, he hated cows because he was tired of getting kicked. (laughs) So he wanted to do something different. But he wanted to stay in the same field.
0: And then he found out that in northern New Mexico, that was an opportunity.
1: Yes, he had lived here uh, previously because his stepfather was stationed up at Los Alamos. And he went to college here for a brief time before returning back to the family farm and decided that in terms of hydroponics and greenhouses that the light wasn't sufficient in New York that you'd have to definitely incorporate supplemental lighting mm-hmm. and he knew that New Mexico from being here during his college days was prolific in the amount of Sun so it was a no-brainer
0: yeah do you think that New Mexico has a future I mean obviously farming has always been a part of our culture here mm-hmm. but it takes a certain initiative and uh, business mentality too to make it work do you think that with all the sunlight here that we have a future Rose, uh, contributing definitely. to the national
1: produce market most definitely yes sir yes we do not only the amount of sunlight but the the temperatures that we have you know we we can start our produce what like a month or two before um, anyone up north can we are lacking in water however the ingenuity of the acequia system has overcome some of those challenges you know Mm -hmm. Um, for hundreds of years you know we we produced fruit in this region so yeah I I think why not definitely
0: that's awesome I wonder what other crops will be popular here
1: I think it's only limited by our ingenuity I know of farmers that are now producing in Corrales ginger and uh, what is that other herb turmeric
0: Yes, turmeric. The, the rhizomes. Yes. And are they using hydroponics?
1: Um, no, they're not, but oh, okay. they're still, you know, farming something that hasn't right. been conventionally farmed here. Yeah, it you sounds know? like and maybe like a
0: hoop house sort of thing.
1: Lots of mushroom farmers oh, yeah. coming, you know, cropping up. People are delving into other forms of fruit that they haven't, you I know? bet
0: figs would be great. Right? Because that's a high dollar crop.
1: I wouldn't doubt someone's trying that. But in the interim, hemp uh-huh. is actually becoming really highly desirable, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a new crop for most of the farmers. We ourselves have gotten, uh, obtained a hemp license uh-huh. and have 30 to 50 plants, new start, new clones. I know of about half a dozen other farmers right off the bat who are instituting hemp production as well. So That's
0: awesome. I'm going to get some good footage and put that up on Instagram. I
1: think that's going to be the wave of the future.
0: So what will that be used for? because I know there's the CBD oh, oil my but goodness. also
1: everything under the sun that's one of the most versatile plants known to man we got a grant from the department of agriculture to do a feasibility study about 15 years ago and they sent us to winnipeg to look at the production of hemp from the very inception of it, you know, with the fields all the way to the finished product and everything in between. It was exciting. I learned that that's the most versatile plant on the planet. It can be used for everything, dietarily, um, your your omegos are in perfect uh, ratio, mm-hmm. more so than any other plant. Is the, the fibers um, are more durable than cotton. It's a natural pest repellent mm-hmm. um, and people can put that around their other crops. Um, the we used to actually um during the war commission people to farmers to grow it as a matter of fact i think um it was made mandatory during either world war one or two to grow it for um it's is is um property regarding uh rope you know oh yeah and and because of the durability of the fiber
0: well so i mean i also know that it's a bioaccumulator and it's good for restoring soil conditions yes so yes. i mean i wonder If people are going to be growing it in greenhouses, they're using it for a specific purpose, like maybe the oil or the silage, right? I know,
1: yeah. I think, well, a lot of the money is going to be in the flour and the oil. And like I said, dietarily, they're using it medically Mm -hmm. as well. Now, because I know the THC content is a lot significantly lower, but there's still some in there. So there's some properties that in conjunction with the, the CBD content therapeutically. And medically. But everyone I know that's already obtained a license, they're gonna be growing it in fields. Okay. And we're not sure actually if we're gonna do it inside and outside or how we're gonna do it. We just thought we'll we'll check it out too.
0: That's great. Sounds like I mean if you focus on the flower and the really high dollar parts of the plant, it'd be make it would make a lot of sense in the greenhouse. But otherwise, it sounds like like for rope and oil, maybe you need a bigger field. huh?
1: Well, every yes, yes. Um, although you know what, once you get the oil, all the biomass that's left over can be converted into fibrous usage. And do you um, do that with your other plants?
0: No. <laughs> so what happens like when you yank? <laughs> They're a plant, composted. Oh, okay, compost. Yeah. yeah.
1: Chickens don't like tomato plants because we've actually tried to donate our plants when we once we've removed them from the facilities.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the flavor of hydroponics?
1: Oh I think that it's gotten a bad rap but deservedly so in many respects because initially a lot of people weren't paying attention to their nutrients and so that the the tomatoes themselves would be kind of watery and lacking in flavor because they were worked with as much fluid you know as needed but like i said the nutrients make all the difference in the world Mm -hmm. since we do routine tissue analysis on an ongoing basis and we're always striving to make sure that the plants are getting exactly what they need in the correct proportions because you know if you're getting too much calcium it might bind up the iron you know or vice versa so it's a constant balancing game but if they are given the proper amount of nutrients then you're gonna get optimal flavor. The biggest way I was able to discern that was with my green tomatoes, my unripe tomatoes. I sell, um, I bring a case every week to the farmer's market because I was raised in the South and you know, fried green tomatoes is a no-brainer for me. A lot of people would say that the tomatoes that you got in the store didn't have any flavor I, and I tell them, well, they were usually typically gassed, you know, and they were picked unripe. However, my green tomatoes have a lot of flavor, you know, a significant amount of flavor they're great. I was able to determine it's what you feed them it's exactly what what they get in is what they're going to give out. Mm-hmm. And since we give them everything they want in the perfect proportions, you're gonna get that flavor.
0: Do they, well, I guess someone's starting out, it's gonna, there's a learning curve involved. So how, <laughs> does, how long did it take for you to figure out what components to put in?
1: We're still learning. Um, initially, there is, what you, what you would wanna do is you would want to achieve a, a water sample that, you know, consistent water sample that you're gonna be using to, to feed your plants. And then go off of that and supplement that, whatever that's lacking is what you add in and that's what we did and that's why we have the RO system and the the filter you know we have multi-micron filters as well and a UV light is because we want the water to be as stable and consistent as possible.
0: Have you ever had problems with algae?
1: Um, Only on the top of the buckets if you don't put a covering on top. Mm -hmm. But we found that putting a cover on on top to protect the perlite, which is what we use as a media to hold the root systems in place, prevents algae for the most part. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: And what's your experience like at the market? You've been doing that for a long time. Wholesale (laughs) and the farmer's market. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah. And Like I said, 95% of my business is wholesale. I do our deliveries, but we also do farmer's markets. We, we do, at this moment, three... We do one year round the Santa Fe Farmers Market, and I love it. I it's actually, the
0: experience mostly, not for the financial part of it. Uh, or is no, it?
1: No, the financial part is great. Because it is retail. It's retail, and ten months out of the year, I'm the only one down there with tomatoes. So that's not anything insignificant by no small stretch. But like I said, 95% of our business is wholesale.
0: Mm-hmm. I've always I was involved in the farmers market selling. Also, I sold plants, and I loved just connecting with people. Because once you find the customers that love what you're doing, they're customers for life.
1: They thank you for being there, for producing stuff so that they can buy it to eat it. There's nothing more gratifying than actually getting someone to thank you for doing the work that you do.
0: That's awesome, yeah. Isn't it? I agree. I think that's a good way to fuel the rest of what you're doing. Oh, it does. It's so inspiring.
1: It does, and it makes getting up early in the morning uh, bearable. I'm not a morning person. Totally. (laughs) Well, what
0: advice would you offer people who are interested in going to the farmer's market?
1: What are you waiting for? Just go ahead and apply. I do know that there's a moratorium on value-added products at the Santa Fe market. Right. However, you know, that that's just one market. There's, uh, You can attend a market every day of the week if you're so inclined, even within our small community. There's nothing more gratifying than actually having the fruit of your labor being appreciated and being bought and enjoyed by others. So what are you waiting for? Do it.
0: Great message. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you want to tell people?
1: Um, it, It's been a pleasure actually meeting you, Aaron. Thank you so much my for inviting pl- yeah, me on your pleasure. show.
0: Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Your information, and I will put up all these short videos on Instagram so people can kind of put an image in their mind of what you're doing. Well, fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like the show and want to see pictures of my adventures and announcements about upcoming interviews, follow on Instagram at GetInMyGarden and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen from. If you've benefited from the show, the information, and the guests I've featured, you can visit my website, getinmygarden.com, and sign up for my new email list. As I mentioned, I will soon be able to offer some awesome freebies and supplemental content via this list. And it will include favorite articles I've shared with my close friends, research and information I feel you would enjoy learning about that fits with the mission of the podcast, which is to inspire and connect people who are focused on making conscious decisions about how to live their lives in a healthy and meaningful way based on the knowledge given to us by previous generations who were so in tune with the earth and also by the bright minds in the science and technology fields that inspire our future. I hope the Get In My Garden podcast has inspired you to continue your learning, to continue your holistic hobbies, your projects and businesses related to natural farming, hydro and aquaponics, bees, fungi, soil and the soil food web, microbes, Plants, and however you are involved in entertaining yourself in a way that benefits the earth and our future. Stay tuned over the next few weeks as new episodes are planned with a backyard urban homesteader, a mushroom educator and entrepreneur, and also a brilliant engineer who has created a modified soil and aquaponics system that withstands extreme temperatures in his desert environment.